The following podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Ephesians 6 and verse 12 reads, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, so, so what is he saying? He's laying out four categories of evil or demonic spirits. And he said, and basically they're all those, pe- all those dudes you can't see, right? You can't see them. But he said, you are not fighting with people. Flesh and blood is people. He said, you're not battling, you're not wrestling with them. Here's where your, uh, where your opposition is. It is a spiritual opposition. And you notice he didn't say, you're not wrestling with flesh and blood. This is just the sovereign will of God while you're being attacked. He didn't say that either. He said, no, this has nothing to do with people and it has nothing to do with God. There are evil demonic spirits out there, different rankings and categories. They are what's coming against you. And the knowledge of this will change our response to attack, to turmoil and hardship. If we're aware of this, we start thinking different. We don't, we're not thinking defeated, helpless. We're saying, well, this is a demonic attack. Have I been given any ability to deal with this? Keeping our thinking challenged by God's truth is the focus of this podcast. We generate real answers from God's word and from the practical application of that word in everyday life. Thanks for joining us for the Thinking Out Loud podcast. Well, Pastor Walt McFadden is in studio again today, and I love when he comes in because he's always thinking out loud. Oh, by the way, that's the name of the podcast. But when we begin to talk about urban ministry, which is our current theme that Pastor Walt is doing, we think of an urban community usually as a populated area with mass transit, multiculturalism, some violence, politics that is usually more progressive, but few people write or talk about an unseen world. I think that's very important, an unseen world that influences our cities. In fact, it is so far away from the conversation that if you bring it up, you would be considered abnormal. Well, what we talk about in our cities, of course, today is more about having more money for education, more money for transportation, more legislation against gun violence and so forth. Yet in my lifetime, I've seen billions of dollars going into our urban communities and we are still struggling with the same issues. So Pastor Walt, today you want to talk to us about the powers, and I put that in quotations, the powers that influence and control a city. For me, just thinking about this topic, however, makes me feel a little conspiratorial. So what are you talking about here and who are these unseen influences you say are a deterrent to urban ministry and the health of a city? Well, the subject is urban ministry and I'm coming off of my experience. My background, by the way, is Pentecostal as your background is Pentecostal. And so we became familiar with terms like spiritual warfare, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think the, the church is waking up to the reality of spiritual warfare in our culture. We can't avoid it because as you said in your introductory remarks, 
we've tried everything as a culture and nothing's working. So what is the real problem? We've seen places around the world where, say, for example, in South America and some of the revivals, particularly in Argentina, they've engaged in some strategic regional spiritual warfare and the events have been remarkable. We've tried some of those things recently, but it seems to be hard to bring the church together on the same page. And it's interesting you said in your introductory remarks that you put powers in quotes. Well, you don't have to do that because they are real. They are recorded in the scriptures. And what we're going to do today is examine a little bit about what are those powers and what can we do about them and how do they affect our ministry? I know you and your associate pastor have been in touch with some of the city leaders or state legislators. And do you ever get into any conversations with them about the unseen powers or is that off the table? I wonder about that because nobody talks about these unseen powers, not even the church for the most part. And yet if what you're talking about and what you're gonna teach today, Pastor Wall, is real, why are we talking about it? Sure. Most of the time when we're talking with some of our state leaders, we're just trying to share the gospel with them. But there are believers, there are strong believers in our state government. I'm sure that they understand the reality of what I'm talking about, depending upon their background. I remember talking with a Lutheran pastor many years ago, and he says, will you teach me about the end times? Because I've never heard a word about the end times. So there are subjects like the end times, spiritual warfare, that we just avoid in the church because, as you said, it comes across as fanatical or conspiratorial. But I can assure you that the Bible backs up everything that I have to say. For example, the king of Tyre is used as a comparison between Satan himself, talking about how he boasted about himself and nobody can conquer me and I'm going to use my beauty and I'm going to take over. I believe that the Babylon that we talk about in the book of Revelation goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was eventually the city of Babylon, and it's all interrelated. There, It's a symbol of Satan's earthly kingdom, and he has a structure of government and organization just like the kingdom of God would do. God is a God of order, and Satan copies everything that God does. He doesn't create anything, he only copies, so it's only natural that he would say to himself, I should also have a system of government. I should have people underneath me. If we look at the book of Daniel, we learn about this prince of Persia, who evidently is some kind of regional demonic power who is hindering the archangel Michael from coming and delivering a prophetic message to the prophet Daniel. So we get some of these clues throughout the Old Testament about these powers or about these beings. From what the scripture seems to show us these powers are real entities they are real spiritual beings and in ephesians chapter 6 which we'll get here to a moment paul starts to break those down into several various categories you get the principalities and the powers and the evil spirits and the rulers of this dark age we're not told by paul exactly what the position of each one is and how they're made up and there's still a great debate on who the demons themselves are I think that's on purpose because God doesn't want us to focus on those kinds of things. We'd build the whole ministry around it. That's human nature. But there are some principles that we can apply. I just have been reading a book, almost finished, and in it the author raises a theory. And at first I thought, well, this is a little bit far-fetched, but he did a really good job of building his evidence. But 
one of the things he notes is nobody has ever, and this came as a surprise to me, nobody has ever been able to identify the clear reason why Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. Now, when you come to the book of First and Second Corinthians, specific problems in the church, the book of Philippians, he's talking about the offerings. He's talking about Timothy and Epaphras and some of the other leaders that are working in that area. Of course, Paul is writing from prison. And uh, you can always say Colossians and Ephesians, those are written at the same time. They're sister books. And I was taught that Ephesians is Christ and the church, and Colossians is Christ and the cosmos. So in this book, the author does a little bit of crossover. But one of the things he notes is how we have failed to understand the significance of the word power, which is translated from the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite. And it really has to do with ability. And we should keep that in mind as we move through the podcast. But what his theory is, is that Paul is looking at these Christians and he's saying they're, they're in tremendous warfare against these principalities and powers. Talk about the city of Ephesus for just a moment. In Ephesus is the Temple of Diana, which is called by some one of the seven wonders of the world. The whole structure of the temple it was the center of city life. That was the place where people would go to worship their gods. Artemis, by the way, is in the Latin language. Diana the Romans took the gods of the Greeks and translated them into their own language and gave them new names. But the Greeks took all of their gods and goddesses from the Mediterranean world. So Artemis can be traced all the way back in different regions, different names. And then next to the temple, there was the meat market where the meat that had been from the animals that were sacrificed was sold, and that was to bring a profit. We're told at least in the city of Corinth, there was a thousand temple prostitutes, male and female, to satisfy the sexual desire of the residents of Corinth. Certainly, it's the same thing going on in Ephesus. Now, Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. It's a coastal city. It affects the whole region around Colossae, Laodicea. Those cities were affected by the ministry that was going on in Ephesus. So just like Minneapolis would affect the whole state of Minnesota, Ephesus would affect the whole region. It's where all the commerce is and the politics, the fashion, all of those kind of things. We trace back to the book of Acts and we find out that when Paul was in the city, that they had a book burning and they burned a lot of magic books and books about sorcery and they were worth a lot of money. Well, now we have an understanding, an idea of what those books were. There is in the Greek called the Ephesia Grammata, and it simply means the Ephesian writing. And that was magic books where you could cast spells and you, you would call on the gods to help you win a race or cause somebody's heart to turn to you so you could win them as your lover. And uh, just hang with me because I'm going somewhere very fascinating with this. And so some of the language that Paul uses in, I shouldn't say some of the language, I say the lot of the language that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians seems to be imitating some of the works from this Ephesian writing. For example, Paul says, I pray that you would know the height, length, depth, and breadth of the love of God, and to know that love which surpasses knowledge. Well, there's actually a spell from the Ephesian writing that uses almost the identical language. I pray that the gods would give me the height, depth, length, and breadth of understanding so that I could get this. And then what Paul is doing is he's contrasting. Here's Christ, 
and here's the gods. When you're praying to the gods, they're weak. They don't necessarily hear you. They are constantly warring. One god has this area, another god has this area, so there's no supreme god. And then by the time we get to the end of the book of Ephesians, we see that Jesus Christ is exalted above every power. And that's not the only incident or occurrence of where it seems that Paul uses language to try to speak in the language of the Ephesians and say to the Christian believer, the power of Christ is greater than any power that you will face. So he starts in chapter one, and if I just, just based on what I shared with you, if I share this verse, all of a sudden it means a little bit more. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So right, right away there, we're starting to see that God has equipped us as believers to operate in the spiritual realm. Now, what does that mean? My whole desire to know more about spiritual warfare began when I started to research for an upcoming sermon on when Jesus meets the demoniac of the Gerasenes. And so Jesus is in a boat, it lands on the shore, and they greet this demoniac who eventually says, the demon within this man says, I am legion for I am many. So that's kind of interesting. This guy has, I mean, what does he have? A thousand, a legion to be a thousand. Does he have a thousand demons, a hundred or just many? But then we're not told very much about how Jesus engages in spiritual warfare and what brought Jesus the power to cast this demon out. Before we go further in the book of Ephesians, I think it'd be good for us to do just a little bit of dialogue and maybe you, Larry, share what you see and I'll share what I see. But I see tremendous, a tremendous amount of demonic activity in our culture like I've never seen it before. Here's my primary example, the transgender movement. It's a demonic movement to convince a person that they are not a man when they are or the woman that they are. And now it's spreading like wildfire. Even atheists like Bill Maher is saying, how, did, how has this happened? This is ridiculous. There's no true scientific evidence. But 40% of young women in California say that they're transgender, and 10% in Ohio say that they're transgender. He said, so it's like a wave. It's just working its way across the country. How does a movement like that happen? It doesn't just happen because professors are teaching in college. There has to be some spiritual force moving in the atmosphere to bring that about. You know, that's very fascinating. And, and that's where sometimes people would, would accuse us of being somewhat conspiratorial. Like, really? Come on, honestly. But yet, when you think about the Apostle Paul, he did not walk into a Christian world. He walked into a pagan world. And that pagan world was full of demons and full of false cults and false religions and so forth, exactly like the world we're facing today as the church. And you and I have talked about this in the past. Are we preparing the church to face that kind of world? Because if all we do is silo, work amongst ourselves to understand more spiritual things, but never learn how to face a pagan world with the message of the gospel. And it's amazing how Paul, as you brought out in your teaching here, that, that he used the culture against itself and contrasted, you know, the truth of the gospel against the false teachings of, of their day. I know for a fact that you and I grew up, as you said earlier, in a Pentecostal church. And 
it almost seems like I never really understood the casting out of demons. I just, you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever done it and think back on my experience. And, and I think it's because of ignorance and, and the inability to understand what I'm doing. So I think you're right. We've got to get back to understanding what the spiritual dimension of our faith is really all about. Yeah, we have some clues from the scripture, like Jesus says, if you cast a demon out, it'll go out into these dry, arid regions looking for another place to plant itself. So I, we, we can see some things from scripture about demonic influence that a demon is looking for a body to possess. It wants to possess a human. And yet there's so much more, so many different layers to what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the principalities. He's talking about the powers and the rulers of this dark age. Just a little refresher on where Satan is. What is he doing? What authority does he have? I've shared this in several podcast series before, but it's important to understand that when Adam sinned, he handed over his dominion to Satan. Satan stole from him the right to rule and reign over the earth. Now, why God allowed that, that's beyond my pay grade. Nobody knows why. Ultimately, we know it'll be for the glory of God and to bring about a holy nation and a people set apart to him with his son, Jesus Christ, as the new Adam. Paul talks about that in the scripture. There's a lot of things happening in the Garden of Eden as well that we don't know about and some new research, particularly through the, the Gospel Project, has some wonderful videos on the Garden of Eden, angels and demons, and those kinds of things. And even after all the years of studying the Bible, my eyes have really been opened and enlightened to what might be happening. You know, who are the sons of God? Who are the Nephilim? Still, nobody knows all of that, but we have some clues that Satan is ruling and reigning over the earth. And he has entities... He has spiritual powers working on his behalf. A small part of that might be demon possession or demon oppression, but a larger part of it has to be these principalities and powers like the prince of Persia. There's a, an interesting verse also in the book of Deuteronomy where it talks about how God assigned boundaries to these spiritual powers. So some think that each nation of the world has some spiritual power over it. And so if we're seeing, for example, our context here in the city of Minneapolis, ever since I came to Minneapolis, I mean, I thought the first night I walked out on the Hennepin Avenue, I was in Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> I and believe it, it. And it's nothing like what I experienced now. Now it's, it's gone much, much further. Now it's normalized. It's in normal, normal life. Yeah, you can't, you can't explain some things that the city does. You've got to kind of go, what in the world? But let me come back to Ephesians because Ephesians 6 verses 10 and 11 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So he's, he's encouraging people to get back to the Lord, put on the full armor of God. Now, it's amazing that he's actually using a Roman military image here, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I underlined a couple things in my Bible. First of all, you know, so that you will stand. It's not you retreat, you know, you run yeah. away, you yeah. stand your ground. And then secondly, against the schemes of the devil. Well, Pastor Walt, what are those schemes? Can you put those in perspective? I think you touched on it a little bit with the transgender stuff. Is that a scheme? Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. The Greek word there for scheme is... 
could also be translated method. You just look at the word in Greek and say, oh, that's a method. So he has schemes, he has methods, he has particular ways of doing things. And of course, we look back and we see in the scripture, he is the father of lies. And so one of his schemes is to lie to people. So if you have a culture like ours that is completely devoid of any kind of morality, then there really is no morality left in the United States. We've just eroded our Judeo-Christian ethic. Then you have what Jesus is saying. You have a house without an inhabitant. And so a spiritual force is going to come and try to fill that. Now, how does that demonic influence take over? A body, a government, a region with lies, with deception. And then Paul goes to talk about that in chapter 4 of Ephesians, where he talks about how because people have made a certain choice, you could literally say they're out of their mind or they're, they're not rational. How do they get to that point? He talks about it in Romans chapter 1 as well. He talks about it because they have given themselves over to lies. They have accepted it. They willingly submitted. And so in one sense, Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now we see and I see it because I live in Minneapolis, exactly what you see. This doesn't make any sense. It's like it's demonic, and it's extremely frustrating because you're saying, what are these people doing? Well, they do have a part to play in that because they have submitted themselves. They bought the lie of the enemy. So lies about gender, uh, lies about lawlessness. We see lawlessness. That's what Satan is all about, is lawlessness. Lies about politics, lies about whatever makes me happy. That's a lie. It's not about what makes me happy. I think the primary way that he operates is through lies and through deception. Well, there, we're almost like minions, right? We, we have followed into a lie of propaganda, and we follow in, in footsteps with that. But when we pray, do we pray against, we don't pray against the flesh and blood. I mean, maybe we do, I don't know, but it seems that we, we should be praying against the forces that are driving the flesh and blood to do stuff that isn't right. I mean, I think that's where we have, at least for me, I can only speak for me, where I have lost a little bit of that idea that this is more than just flesh and blood or bad politics or progressive political parties or whatever it is. It's about a force that is in the heavenlies, unseen for the most part. That's what we should be attacking. And I'm not sure we're encouraged to do that as often as we should. What, what do you say? Well, the nature of the church in the West is we're not supernatural. We don't talk about the supernatural, but the whole Christian faith is supernatural. It's based on a miracle that a dead man was raised from the dead and it was exalted through and above these powers and he stands over them. And when he starts talking about Ephesians, about filling the church, I get this picture of like a chute that goes from the throne room all the way down to the church, and there's this supply. So he talks in Ephesians 4 about how when he was exalted, he brought gifts to men. His train was filled with gifts to men. For what purpose? To empower the church with spiritual gifts. To do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body, so that this connection between heaven and earth can happen again. So he's constantly talking about filling, 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 filling. 
what does this all have to do with inner city ministry? It really doesn't matter where you're at, but it's particularly evident to us that what we're doing is not working and our ministry is of utmost importance to our region because everything, sin just kind of starts in the city, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, Babylon, cities are full of sin. Mm -hmm. And if we want to make a difference, we've got to start paying attention to some of these principalities and powers and the lies that they perpetrate. Well, I want to conclude today with the fact that all of what we're saying starts with us. Because here's an old verse, and we hear it all the time, but it's got some powerful thought to it. It's Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. So it starts with us. We can't expect to take down principalities and powers and bind the devil if in our own lives, Pastor Walt, we're not living right for God. I mean, you can't do it. It's got to start with a clean heart, a confessing heart, a heart that's humble and saying, God, we can't do this. It's not in our ability to do it. It needs to have you. End on that. If you I would. mentioned that verse in my sermon last week. And of course, we know, Larry, I say this tongue in cheek, that verse was just for the Jews. We can't apply that to America. I hear that all the time. I know, I know. And it's absurd. And this is exa- this is a primary example of what I'm talking about. So I, I read the verse back to the congregation with different language. Hmm. I said, um, what you're really saying is when you say that's for, for the Jewish people only and for Israel, that if we pray, God says to us, I will not hear from heaven. I will not turn and heal your land. Is that what really we're saying? God deals with nations. It's so important to keep that in mind. He is going to judge nations at the end of the world. People will reply and say, what about China and Russia? Why doesn't God destroy them? They were under judgment a long time ago. They're under totalitarianism. So God says, you want to be ruled by man? I'll let you be ruled by man. And that's where America is heading, mm-hmm. is right, right down that same cesspool of totalitarianism. And there's a lot of confusion in our culture right now. But Satan is active and he's working. And we have to remember the spiritual realm is just as real as the physical realm. So how are we going to see our land healed? Friends and neighbors and relatives come to faith in Christ. We have to affect the spiritual realm before we can affect the physical realm. That's so good. And Pastor Walt, I know that you're going to be picking up some of these themes in your sermons on Sunday morning. We're going to continue here every week by talking these things out on the podcast. But in conclusion today, what would you say to somebody tuning in going, yeah, this is all very interesting, but give us the the rest of the but. (laughs) But we need to wake up. Uh, We need to, to figure out what our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world have understand about the spiritual realm and why they're having revival and we're not having revival. So yeah, we're going to be talking about that. Our uh, website is cvcmpls.org. Our service is online every Sunday morning, but from our website, you can get our address and we have all of our sermons online pretty much right after the sermon is over and quickly edited on Sundays. If you if you want to catch up on the series that I'm currently in from the Gospel of Luke. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org.